Welcome to the Getting Divorced Without Losing Your Mind podcast with Corey Shapiro. Today we have a conversation with questionologist Warren Berger, who's on the show to help us ask better questions about divorce. You may be thinking like I am, what's a questionologist? Is that even real? Well, it's a person who studies the art and science of questioning. And he's been doing this for three decades. And before that, he was a journalist. His work appeared in one of my favorite newspapers, New York Times, one of my favorite magazines, Wired. And if I didn't like him already, he even co-wrote a book by one of the best hosts from one of those reality TV shows that's been on forever, Phil Kogan from Amazing Race. He, wrote, he co-wrote No Opportunity Wasted, and uh, he's here to help us. So welcome him to the show. And remember, these questions are going to help us be creative, not trying to be reactive. So you can find more about Warren's work if you want to learn a little bit about it at warrenberger.com. You can go to his blog, which has a lot of information, at amorebeautifulquestion.com. His latest book, he focused on helping people in the educational sphere. And that's so smart, going right at the beginning, at the root. It's called Beautiful Questions in the Classroom with co-author Elise Foster. Okay, to get us started, Warren, to get us started, I yes. want you to go back to your early days, maybe three decades ago, what led you on this path becoming a questionologist? Okay, so three decades ago, I was a journalist, a working journalist. I was a, a reporter and also a feature writer. So when you're a reporter, you know, you, you work really hard on your questions. Um, it's really the tool of the trade uh, for a journalist. Um, it's, it's something you use every day. It's like, um, you know, a question for a journalist is like a hammer for a carpenter, right? It's, it's one of the most basic tools in your toolbox. Um, and, you know, I tended to think about my questions a lot in advance. When I was going to meet someone or interview someone, I would work really hard on questions. And I was sort of teaching myself at that point, you know, the interesting thing, Corey, is that, um, you know, I went to journalism school. Uh, and I went to a good journalism school at uh, Syracuse University. They never really taught much about questioning. Isn't that weird? In, in journalism school, they don't focus that much on questioning. I felt the same way in law school. I felt like I didn't learn much in law school either. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. They, they will teach you about the, uh, the, the five W's, you know, who, what, when, where. But they don't really teach you, um, like, how to construct a question well or or what you, what you should be trying to do with when you're asking a question. So a lot of it for me was self-taught. You know, I, was, I would go into an interview and, and, and so I'd try to figure out what is it that is going to elicit, um, you know, interesting information from this person. Sometimes I'd be interviewing a politician. Sometimes I'd be interviewing a business leader. It could be a celebrity. I interviewed a bunch of celebrities. But so I'd always be trying to figure out, you know, these people get asked, interviewed a lot. They get talked to a lot. What, what can I ask them that will, I don't want to put them off. I don't want to, I don't want to ask them a question that's going to stump them. But I also want to ask a question that will kind of open them up and, and get them to maybe get off automatic pilot. You know, a lot of times when you interview people, they're on autopilot, you know, 
So you wanted to figure out how do I get them to engage? That's kind of, that may be the most important thing you're trying to do with questioning is you're trying to get people to engage with you and you're trying to engage with them. So I kind of was self-taught and, um, and I, I studied ways of asking questions. And then somewhere along the line, an interesting thing happened. I, I changed my whole view of questioning because I was interviewing a lot of um, business leaders and innovators. You know, as you mentioned, I wrote for Wired Magazine, people, places like that. So a lot of times I'd be interviewing some guy who was this cool guy in the tech world. He'd come up with this amazing startup or this amazing uh, tech creation, you know. And so I was interviewing a lot of those kind of people, right? And what I've noticed is that those people are great questioners, like inventors, creators, leaders. They're really great questioners, but they're, not, they're using questioning in a different way than I was. Like I was using it as an interpersonal tool, you know, for me to get information from another person, whereas they were using it almost on themselves. They would ask themselves really great questions about their industry or about a problem that was out there in the world. And they'd, be, they'd take hold of those questions and work on them. You know, why hasn't someone come up with a better way to do X? And what if I combine this with that? What would happen? Could I then address this problem of X? And, and what would be the next step after that? So they would be like formulating and working on these kinds of really big challenging questions, either by themselves or with a small group of like uh, their, their, um, their teammates, you know, or their, their colleagues. So I found that fascinating because, like I said, kind of shifted my whole view of questioning to, okay, it's, it's, there's another aspect of this. It's, it is an amazing communication tool, but it's also something else. It's like this tool that you use for yourself when you want to solve problems, when you want to like change your thinking or when you want to like move in a different direction, it's oftentimes it starts with asking the right question. That became kind of a driving theme for me. It's kind of once, once I thought of questioning that way, now it's not just about me and how can I be a better questioner? Now it becomes like, okay, this applies to everybody. So how can everybody use this tool and, and what should they know about it and, and how it, how it works and, and that kind of thing. So that was it. And, and that kind of put me on this, this path of being a, a questionologist, if you will, a term I, I, you know, kind of coined myself and uh, started writing books about it, started giving talks about it, started going to schools, companies, NASA space program, U.S. Army. <laughs> I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this. And, you know, it's, it's become my thing now. It's become like my, you know, my calling. Yeah, that's great. No, that's really, that's great. I think that change, when I was reading your works, it was just seemed very natural. As a professional, you know, I'm supposed to give advice. That's the tendency. But I found that when people are so charged, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to to take advice. And it really comes down to first getting from their perspective. And I think these questionings is, is a great step in the right direction. 
So let's apply, since this is a, a podcast about divorce, let's apply some of this wonderful questioning uh, that skills that you have right. to some real life situations. And I know we're talking about divorce, but one thing that comes up so much, and now we're doing this in the summer, and last uh, podcast I did something about a prenup, is discussing a prenuptial agreement. Mm. And I think that's an interesting thing because in one sense, you know, a marriage is supposed to be romantic, supposed to be maybe lifelong, you have your family, it's secure, the engagement is so exciting, you get maybe you know, give or get a diamond, you have all right. this announcements, you have this beautiful wedding. And then the next day, are you like, hey, you know, let's sign a, a, a prenup. You know, right. I don't see many people putting on Instagram photos of their prenups. Okay, no right. one really does that. It's right. not, so there is a stigma, even though I think as a divorce attorney, you know, it's smart. Think of Tom Brady, who had their divorce, which is Albunchen. They had a civilized divorce. So people are doing it. But right. I do think it's a lot of people find it uneasy. So if you're in one of those situations, what are some questions you think you could ask to change the mindset from being something unromantic to being something as smart as getting life insurance? I don't know that there are specific questions or if there are, I don't know that I'm the one to give those to you because the, you know, the specific questions are going to probably come from someone who's a professional in the field. Right, who's, who's studied this. What I can give you is more general guidelines for questioning and how questioning could be used in a situation like this. So one of the things I find with questioning is, um, okay, so it's a really valuable tool, but you have to use it the right way. And in the case of, uh, particularly when you're having difficult conversations, it's really easy for the questioning to become aggressive or confrontational. So the first thing you need to know going into any challenging conversation is that you need to ask a lot of questions, but you need to ask them the right way. And that is a lot of that is about tone. Okay, so what you want to um, you want to make very clear that uh, you're curious and you're interested in learning about the situation, and you want to understand. You want to understand whatever's going on, whatever the situation is, and that's why you're asking questions. When people pick up the, that vibe from you, when they pick up the vibe of, I'm just trying to understand, I'm trying to, uh, I'm curious about this, I'm interested and I want to know more, when they pick up that vibe, they're much more receptive than if they're picking up the vibe of, I don't like this, uh, I'm suspicious, you know, what's going on here? And that will all come by the, uh, the nature of your questions. You know, it's, it's like if you can begin your question by sort of expressing curiosity, say, hey, I'm curious about, you know, let's say we're, we're talking about a prenuptial, you know, I'm curious about what, why this is important to you, what you're trying to achieve with it. And, and like both parties should be asking those kinds of questions. What is it? that maybe makes you uncomfortable about it. Don't be afraid to ask someone what their issues might be, you know, because that's what you want to find out, right? You want to find out what are the emotions at play here? What is the, what's, what's under the surface, right? A lot of times that's another thing questioning is good for. It's good for kind of getting under the surface 
what people are saying initially, their kind of surface statements, which may not be really the truth or it may not be the full truth. And you want to kind of get under that. So sometimes you need to use questioning to say, you know, hey, I, I heard you say, you know, you don't really care about this uh, situation or whatever. But, you know, can we can we go a little deeper on that? How you know what what are you thinking about it? What what you know, you must have some thoughts. Can you can you let me know, you know, how you feel about it? So I think that's kind of where you're trying to go with questioning in almost any interpersonal um, situation. Corey, one of the go-to questions with any engagement is to try to get at what, uh, and I like to use the word challenges, right, or challenging, as opposed to problems. So you, you want to find out what are the challenges of this situation for you? Like, like what, what, would, what would cause you to feel that this is a difficult or a challenge? And um, how, can we, how can we address that? So I think whenever yeah. I, I always tell um, managers, you know, the, the most important thing they can ask the people they're working with or working for them, uh, the most important thing they can find out is uh, what does that person see as their challenges that they're facing in their daily work, right? And it could be that could be both things that are getting in the way as well as things on a positive note, you know, things they really want to achieve, things they're really hoping for, the end goal that they're shooting for. So you want to find out, you always want to be asking about challenges. You know, what, what um, within this situation, what, what are the challenges for you? You know, what, what's, what's creating issues for you? And then also, you know, what is it that you're uh, hoping to ultimately end up with? What, what, is, what to you represents a good um, solution or a good, a good end goal? So you're, w- with questioning, you're trying to get the person to articulate um, those things, the, the, the things that, are, that they're having a problem with and the things that they, the, the ultimate um, solution they'd like to aim toward. And this makes sense. I mean, it's not necessarily, you've heard this from some great therapists, not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. And same with questioning. And I was thinking with the prenups, the challenge is the perception. Is this marriage traditional? Where everything is acquired is going to be ours? Or is there some parts of our marital energy of our marital estate, which we're going to keep separate. And I think having these questions early on, when you 100% are collaborative, I mean, most, I would say most people getting married are collaborative, much better to have these questions early on before you're married, then you have surprises because people have different perceptions about things. So I think that's very, uh, those two questions are wise. When people call me for prenups, I always say that's you know, I'll give you some information about the law, explain marital property, you know, marital property sharing, separate property is yours, and, you know, everything else is really up to you guys how you want to design your marriage. And having these conversations early on with these softer questions, it sounds like, opens up a great dialogue, which I think you should have 
anyway, it is hard to talk about finances. It's easy to talk about finances maybe when you have a lot of finances, but if you have debt or things, you know, you're, you're supporting other children, maybe at a second marriage, things get complicated. Yeah, and you know, and, and something to keep in mind for everyone with questioning, I, I talk a lot about why, right? The W-H-Y, you know, to me, it's, it's the most important question, right? Why is, it's, it's often the starting point for really important breakthroughs or really important conversations um, because why, when you're asking why, you're trying to understand something, right? So I think it's like whenever you're having a challenging conversation, under the surface of that is why. There's a lot of whys going on there, you know? Like, why are we having this conversation in the first place? Why is it important to me? Why should we talk about this issue? Why might it make us uncomfortable? Uh, you know, th so there's a lot of those whys under the surface that you want to be addressing. But at the same time, I always warn people that a why is also um, a dangerous word because a lot of times if you ask people why in a very direct way, like, why did you do that? Or why are you doing this? Or why, why do you keep blah, blah, blah? Why do you keep saying that? It, it becomes almost, it sounds almost like an attack, right? The art of using why is really important. So you, it's, a, it's a word you have to use very gently. And um, you have to make it clear to the person that you're using, you're, you're trying to figure out why so that everybody has a clear understanding of what's going on. And that nobody is holding anything back. And nobody is like being mad, but not saying anything or, or being re resentful, but not mentioning it. You know, with why you're trying to get everything on the table, right? But you have to do it in a way that's, you're always sort of coaching and saying, you know, hey, I, I'd like to understand why, you know, maybe you, you might feel a certain way about, about an issue. You know, and I, I want you to understand this is not about judgment. It's not about anything. It's just about me trying to understand and, and you know, you sharing your, what you feel. And, and then maybe we can together, we can figure some stuff out. So you always have to be kind of as you're using why you have to use it in a really in a really thoughtful and, and gentle way. It's like um, you're just gently leading someone along, you know. And, and not, instead of interrogating, you never want to be in the position of seeming like you're an interrogator, and you never want to be using questioning to, in a way that makes it sound like you're judging, right? Like, you know, so easy biggest, to do, though. So easy yeah, to do. The biggest judging question is like, why would you do something like that? Or, you know, what, what were you thinking? Or what, you know, so a lot of us use questions as a form of criticism. So you really have to look out for that because that's, that's just it. Once you start doing that, you're not really asking questions, right? That's, that's like taking a statement or an opinion and dressing it up as a question. So to me, those are like counterfeit questions. They're not real. The way you know you're asking a real question is very simple. You're curious about the answer. If, as long as you're curious and interested in the answer, then it's a legitimate, valid question. 
as soon as the question becomes a tactic or a, 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 an attack tool, a criticism, as soon as it becomes any of those things, now you're no longer asking, in my view, legitimate questions. Yeah, when you're saying this, it makes me think about when I get triggered, you know, in these conversations I have with my partner or my life, you know, a lot of times I just have to say nothing because it's not going to come out curious. So I think a, a big part of this is putting yourself in the right uh, frame of mind. Yeah. And that leads me to my next question I have for you, you know, which changing the topic a little bit. How about asking questions to yourself? Because you said those tech guys did that um, to think about really wonderful products. But one topic I want to think about is getting divorced. We talked about prenups, starting the marriage, getting right. divorced. I assume these questions start with you before you, you yeah. know, tell your partner that you want a divorce. And I think a, a lot of us, maybe maybe just me, when we ask ourselves questions, we're also very rough with ourselves. We ask ourselves yeah. challenging questions that are not coming from that that space of curiosity. It's almost like you're asking yourself judgment questions. So, yeah. you know, so how can we ask ourselves better questions thinking if we're thinking about the topic of getting divorced? Like, you know, maybe this marriage is not really working for us anymore. We want to get divorced. What questions do you think we can ask ourselves and just going through an anatomy of how we can break that down so we can ask ourselves better questions? There's a couple of things to keep in mind in terms of asking yourself questions, okay? It's something that we tend to avoid. So we, and, and the reason, so, so I'm, I'm a questionologist, right? So I always say, okay, why, right? So if we avoid, if we tend to avoid asking ourselves, you know, kind of difficult questions, why? Right? What, why do we do that? Well, I think that the, the main reason we do it is out of fear. And the fear is that you don't have an answer. So we're really, as human beings, we, we are really afraid of bumping up against something and then not knowing what to do uh, or being in a situation where we're lost or we don't know what comes next. So I think we have a deep-seated fear of asking ourselves questions and then saying, oh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And in fact, we, we have to get over that because that's not good. Like any of these innovators that I profile in my book, when they started out asking these big questions, they, didn't know, they did not know the answer. They did not know. And the same is true with scientists. The same is true with philosophers. The same is true with Anybody who is trying to solve a problem or change a situation, usually at the beginning, they don't know the answer, right? But, the, but you have to start with the question. Like you, if you don't ask the question, then you'll never, you'll never make progress on it. You'll never get started. You'll never start that journey of figuring stuff out, right? If you don't start with asking the question. So I think for all of us, we have to sort of talk to ourselves and say, look, I'm going to think about some, some of these issues. I'm going to think about some of these questions. I'm going to ask myself some questions and I'm going to give myself permission to not have the answer right away. Because what I'm trying to do is get myself to think about it. I'm trying to get myself to explore it. Maybe, I'll maybe uh, in the process, I'll talk to other people and see what they think. 
and maybe I'll do some research. Maybe I'll read up on it. Uh, or, or I'll just let it marinate in my brain. And what can happen when you do that with questions is, you know, really amazing stuff. You know, you will start to get insights. You'll start to see things differently. But you have to have the question there in your brain marinating. So I think when you're in a, in a challenging situation, you know, you start with try to formulate some questions around, you know, um, okay, why, why do I think this situation is not working as well as it might be? Um, what's my vision of what the relationship should be, you know, and, and how realistic is that? Or how attainable is that? Um, is there room for, for change here? Is there possibility for change? If there is possibility for change, you know, where, where might it begin? You know, what might be the first steps? So you can, there's all kinds of questions you can ask yourself. And, you know, you, you may have, uh, you know, you may come up with 10 questions, right? And you should, you know, write those down or, 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 or take note of them and then sort of think about them. But as I say, don't expect to maybe have all the answers right away. Just it's a process of thinking about these questions. A, a simple sort of trick that I'll, I'll share with you, there's a, there's a really basic framework I like to use when taking on any kind of a problem, and that is to go through a cycle where you ask, um, first you ask why, then you ask what if, and then you ask how. So let's take the, the case of a, a marriage where, um, you know, people are arguing all the time, right? So you would start with why. You would start with, okay, what, why do we seem to be arguing all the time? And then maybe you would write down some of the situations that, that uh, seem to trigger, some of, some of the things that seem to trigger uh, arguments. You, you'd make note of them, okay? All right, so after you've kind of thought about these, the why, and you've sort of you know, written some things down, then you'd ask, okay, what if, what if we could uh, change some of these, some of these uh, problems? What if we could address some of these issues? So let's say there's, um, you know, there's constant arguments over a certain, um, you know, person in the family or something like that. You know, you would say, you would try to construct a question around what if we could um, change our, um, the way we deal with this person in a way that doesn't create so much tension between us, you know, so you, you then pose that as a what if question, right? And then after you go through the what if stage of trying to sort of pose these questions about possibilities, then you might zero in on a couple and say, okay, uh, let's see, if we were actually going to try this, how would we do it? So we, I posed a question, what if we could, you know, change the way we talk about uh, money? Um, okay, how might we put that into practice? Like, like what could be the first thing we do, you know, starting next week? So what you do when you, when you do that, when you ask why, what if, and how, you're just trying to lead yourself on a path from thinking about and understanding the problem to gradually coming up with steps you could take. Okay, just a, it's like a circular path. And so I just advise everyone when they're dealing with these big challenges to, and as you're asking yourself questions, uh, keep that little framework in mind, that why, what, if, how, that can be helpful. But you can also ask all kinds of questions. They don't have to be part of that 
cycle or why, what, if, how. There could be all kinds of questions that might be relevant to your relationship, your situation. You're trying to get at, you know, what is it? What's going on here? Um, what are the underlying issues? Uh, what are some things we could do? What are some possibilities? Um, is it worth saving? Uh, all of those kinds of things are questions you need to put on the table. And then, uh, as I say, you need to, you need to uh, work on those questions. You know, when I started improving my communication, I started off, I'm not sure if you're familiar with nonviolent communication with Marshall Rosenberg, one of my favorite books, I think that explains communication. His third part of the process is questioning. And you mm -hmm. seem to focus on that third part. What is challenging in these difficult conversations, even if it's to yourself, is to have that, I guess, state of mind to be open. You know, so we're not, right. we're not in that fight or flight or shut down, because you could even be shut down right. with yourself. And I, yeah, I sure. think these, these techniques you're using are so much better than, you know, judgments and attacks and what right. we do uh, normally to uh, quote unquote persuade, which doesn't really persuade anyone. This gets everyone upset and maybe brings yeah. them to uh, a bad place. So I think yeah. opening up that, that thought of, you know, why do I want to get divorced and, and thinking about that through that framework, I think it's helpful. And what I tell people, you know, you, you might not just be happy. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, like, there's, I don't know if you saw those studies of people who win the lottery. A lot of people who win the lottery are not happy later on. Right. And I think we right. all have a baseline. For example, I, I was in court once and the court uh, uh, officer, he says, you know what the problem is with everyone here? I've been married 30 years. And he, and he goes, you know, give us the sage advice about marriage. He goes, expectations. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, that, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, you know, are my expectations realistic? Right. And all these great questions that you can start off um, with, your, with, with yourself. I think that's good. The reason you're trying to um, really dig, dig deep with whys, you know, there's a, there's a technique called the five whys. Are you familiar with that? The five whys? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, uh, is that Drucker? Uh, yeah, actually, it started in Japan with oh, the oh, Toyota. Okay. A Toyota company, and they were using they were using a system of asking why five times whenever there was a problem. Um, so if, if a car if a part came off the assembly line and it was defective, um, you know they, they were trained to ask uh, you know okay why is the why is the part defective? And the first answer might be well the the guy on the assembly line screwed up, you know and and now. Normally, you might stop there and just, you know, fire the poor guy on the assembly line and think you've solved the problem. But they, they felt, no, you, you, you then keep asking, you know, OK, why did that guy on the assembly line screw up? And then you might find out, OK, he, he didn't get the, the enough training. OK, why didn't he get enough training? Well, he didn't get enough training because we cut back on the training program last year and so on. And, and so they felt that um, if you asked why in a cycle like that repeatedly, you would get beneath the surface and you would get to um, the real issue, the real core issue. So I think that applies, pretty, that applies well to something like a, a, a marriage that's having problems, right? You, you not only need to ask why, you need to ask why again deeper. You need to go deeper with your whys because the first why might be, you know, 
well, we're, we're arguing all the time, right? Okay, but why are you arguing all the time? And, and so you kind of have to go deeper and deeper to get at those core, um, those core issues. And, and I think what you're all, the, your reason for doing this is ultimately what, you're, what in the case of uh, deciding on divorce, you're ultimately trying to figure out, you're trying to understand what the challenges are so you can see if they're solvable or not, right? Because maybe they're solvable and maybe they're not. You know, and maybe they're so basic or they're so fundamental that they would require the other person to completely change their personality. And that's probably not going to happen. Right. So so what you're trying to do is you're trying to unearth the real reasons, the real core problems, the deepest, the deepest problems so that you can lay them on the table for yourself and, uh, and maybe eventually for the other person if you end up in that kind of a conversation. But. You can put those problems on the table and then ask yourself, you know, are these problems something that could be worked on? Are they potentially solvable or are they just, you know, such deep problems that really uh, the chances are we're not going to ever fix them? You know, so I think that's kind of why that's why you're doing why that's the why behind the why. Right. Well, the why I'm thinking when people think about divorce, a lot of times people say, well, you know, I want to get divorced, but the children are still, you know, in school. Should I wait? Right. So why should I wait? And then the research is, well, right. if you're in a household that's toxic, that's not necessarily right. helpful for the kids anyway. Yeah. So why would I want right. to wait if I'm in a bad mm-hmm. marriage? But what, you know, what can I do? I know it's not a why question. What can I do to improve that? If the only thing you can do is what you're saying is yeah. to move on, that's one idea. The other thing might take a lot of work, which is changing your right. personality, your patterns. And that can take time, as we all know. If you're asking about, you know, how might this potentially affect um, the kids, you know, that's a question that you're going to have to really think long and hard on, maybe do, maybe talk to some people about it, maybe do some research. You know, you mentioned research has been done on this. And you really need to look deeply at that issue because there's no easy answer to it. It's not like, oh, yeah, it, it, people should always stay together for the kids. That's not true, right? So you need to figure out, again, in this situation, what are the pros and cons, um, what is really going to be best for them as opposed to just what I automatically assume might be best. And that's another example of the kind of question that you're going to have to articulate it, put it on the table, and then work on it. You know, like I say, a lot of times questioning is about thinking about something for a while, but it's also about talking to people. It's about doing your research, doing your homework, so that you can eventually answer this question in a you know, a halfway intelligent way. (laughs) And a lot of these questions, by the way, they don't, it's not like there's a right answer for some of these questions, a one definitive right answer. But what, what you're trying to do is come up with the best answer you can come up with. You're trying to come up with the best answer that the one that is the most thoughtful, the one that has considered different perspectives, the one that uh, makes the most sense the one that is based in some in some knowledge as opposed to just random, you know, gut instinct or gut reactions. You know, you're, you're trying to go for like a more sensible 
answer as opposed to a off-the-cuff answer, an emotional answer, which is what we usually do as human beings. We just kind of fly off the handle and we, we come up with an answer right away and because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with the issue. So we just say, this is what I feel. This is my, this is my instinct. I'm going with it. That's what we want to avoid a lot because that kind of, those kinds of gut reactions can really get us into trouble. A lot of times they're based in emotion. They're based too much in emotion. And a lot of times we think we know more than we do. We haven't thought about the issue. We haven't done any homework. We haven't talked to people. And so, you know, you've got to be careful about, you know, going too much with emotion and gut instinct. And that's part of what questioning is trying to get you to do. Self-questioning is trying to get you to say, hey, I'm not just going to go with my gut. I'm not just going to go with my instinct. I'm going to think about this stuff. I'm going to I'm going to consider some other viewpoints aside from my, my initial uh, gut feeling, and I'm going to try to bring all that together so I can make a good decision. You're reminding me in your book, I learned a new term, many terms, but one term in particular is this idea of a question storming. I've heard of brainstorming before. I never heard of question storming. And the idea right there, instead of coming up, if you're brainstorming, quote unquote, divorce, maybe have a question storm. You know, yeah. all these questions and that frees you, as you said, because you might not know the right answer. They might be these, these, these are difficult decisions and right. either path might have pros and cons and the differences might be marginal. Yeah. The idea of question storming is interesting. It's, it's just um, the, it, the, the basis of it is that is that when we ask a lot of questions about a topic and the topic could be, you know, it could be divorce or it could be, it could be, uh, you know, in the, in business, uh, everybody's trying to get loyal customers, right? So it could be the topic could be customer loyalty or something. And the idea is you, you just put a topic down, you write it down and you just try to come up with as many questions as you can possibly think of about this topic. And when you do that, it has an interesting effect. It, it causes you to look at the the topic from a lot of different angles and try to think about it in different ways so that you can formulate all these questions about it. And as you do that, a lot of times it causes you to see things a little differently. It, it can help you come up with ideas you might not have come up with otherwise. So yeah, I, I, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I recommend, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with an issue or a challenge, you know, the more questions, the better. If you can write down 50 questions, you know, that, that come to mind about this challenge, go ahead and do it, you know, write them all down and then maybe try to figure out, well, okay, uh, there's 50 questions I've written down. Um, I can't, I can't deal with all 50 of them. That's too many, but maybe I can look through this list and figure out what are the five or the three questions that really seem important or that really resonate with me. They, they kind of they seem to get at the heart of the issue. And so maybe then you pull out those core questions and those are the ones you can spend time with and maybe think about more. You know, with getting divorced, the one question or the framework, which is such a smart way of looking at things, is begin with the end in mind. Oh, yeah. And we're so focused on now, the next few years. But the one thing that I see 
the advantage of having a marriage could be a lifelong relationship. And it's so hard to decide how are you going to feel decades in the future? Yeah. And is. I think you're probably going to be a different person. So you're right. probably, I think probably in a long-term marriage, you're marrying a different person every few decades, you know, when they're dating, when they're yeah. maybe single in New York city, maybe when you have children, you want to move out of the city, you know, maybe when yeah. you're older, you want to travel, maybe you don't want to travel. Well, you know, maybe you get really into pickleball and everyone's into right. pickleball. Now I hate pickleball. I want to swim. So all these things change. Right. And right. it's going to be such variety over the years. Yeah. Um, all right. Listen, in your, in your latest book, the beautiful questions in the classroom, you came up with an acronym, BBQ. I was hoping you were talking about barbecue because I love ribs, <laughs> but you're not talking about barbecue. You're talking about big, beautiful questions. I was wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on what is a big, beautiful question. And before you answer that, well, I have a statement. I don't have a question yet, but I, my statement is getting divorced without losing your mind. And right. it, could that be turned into a big, beautiful question? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you can, you can create a question just by putting, it, this is like an easy trick, right? Just take three words and put it on the beginning of, of, that, of that statement or that title. And the three words are either, how might we or how might I? depending on whether you're thinking about it in terms of yourself or whether you're thinking about it in terms of somebody else, you and somebody else, a collaborative thing. So how might I get through a divorce without losing my mind is a beautiful question. Uh, on the other hand, you know, um, before you get to that point of the divorce, you know, maybe a how might we question is worth pursuing. That might be a beautiful question worth pursuing. How might we as a couple, you know, find a way to, you know, appreciate our differences more. And, uh, you know, you can sort of construct the question based on what it is you're trying to do, or it could be based on the challenges you see in your relationship. If you see, if you see that, uh, you know, boy, we really, uh, we love to laugh together, but we, we also have these diverging interests. You know, so then the beautiful question you ask with the other person might be, how might we, you know, find a way to live with our diverging interests, work with that, and, and at the same time, find ways to laugh more together. Uh, and you could even add on another part to it. You know, these beautiful questions could have three parts or four parts to them. How might we do this while at the same time making sure we do that? And also, let's let's be sure we do more of this. And so all of that becomes one big, beautiful, how might we question. Uh, and, and so I basically what I'm advising people do, what I'm advising them to do is to take all their dreams and their problems, or maybe just one big dream and problem, and try to put them into the form of a question. You know, and, and again, the, the, the uh, starter of how might I or how might we is a pretty good tool. Doesn't mean the question has to start with that. You could have your own version of a beautiful question that is different. But I, but I do find if you're looking for a, um, an easy way to frame these types of questions, that's a good, uh, that can be a good starter uh, starting word. How might I or how might we? And then the rest of it is up to you. The rest, how you build the rest of the question is a matter of putting the pieces together of what you're trying to do 
or what the goal is or what the dream is. And you try to put it all into a one big, beautiful question. Now, why are you doing that, right? Questionologists, I always ask why. So why should you put your goals or your dreams or your challenges in the form of a question? Why not just, why not just write them down and say, you know, I will do this or I will do a better job of, I want to start drinking more water, okay? There's two ways I could go here. I could put it as a resolution or a statement. I could say, I will, starting today, I will drink more water. Or I could put it as a beautiful question. The beautiful question would be, how might I get myself to drink more water? Okay, what's the difference between those two things? Well, there's been studies done on this that have found that when we give ourselves an order, we tend to ignore it. Um, we, it's like New Year's resolutions. That's what a New Year's resolution is. It's an order that you give yourself, right? They don't seem to work that well. We tend to, we, we, we start out with good intentions and then we kind of put it aside. Um, what the research has found is we have a different reaction to questions than we do to statements. So if you ask yourself a question, it's almost like it triggers something in your brain. It triggers your brain the way a puzzle does, the way you're, you almost can't help trying to put the pieces together and figure it out. So a question will like uh, challenges yourself, it challenges your brain to try to come up with solutions and ideas. So if I hmm. ask that question, how might I get myself to drink more water? Um, you know, I, I immediately I might come up with an idea and say, well, I could, uh, you know, I could leave some water by the, uh, you know, in, in these various places throughout the house. So I'm reminded. So I might come up with an idea right away. But that's not like where it ends, because once you sort of put that question in your brain, what you're going to find is, you know, you, the next day you'll be taking a shower and all of a sudden you'll say, oh, wow, you know, I have another idea. I could do this. And then uh, maybe you'll uh, share the question with someone. You'll say, yeah, I'm working on this question of how might I get myself to drink more water. And the person will say, oh, you know, you know what you ought to try. You ought to try this. So there's something about a question that is much more um, dynamic. And it, uh, it, it sort of sets things in motion. And, um, and it, it leads to more, to more ideas. And then the ideas tend to lead to more um, you know, action or results. So I, I always recommend that people try to take their whatever it is they're trying to achieve and articulate it as a question and write that question down, put it on the bulletin board, share it, share the question with people because they'll help you. They'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, I know, I know something about that. Um, you know, sh questions are very shareable, unlike statements. Statements are not so shareable. If I say... I'm going to drink more water. Well, nobody, I, I, I tell someone that they don't want to hear that. Who cares? That's you. But if I, if I say, hey, I'm working on this question, you know, all of a sudden they have a chance to get involved. Like they say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, here's my thoughts on that. So right. it doesn't make you defensive, the questions. Right, exactly. And, and so, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's very inviting. It's very uh, kind of uh, empowering. Um, I, I've even, I, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, Corey, but I, you know, I go into companies and I say to them, you should take your mission statement, your company mission statement, 
and change it into a mission question. So whatever your statement is, you know, like we, we are, you know, the example I give sometimes is let's say it's ro- a robotics company and their statement is, you know, we make the world a better place through robotics, right? You know, I'm saying to them, you should change that to how might we make the world a better place through robotics? Because it's just a more empowering kind of, um, you know, uh, it, it's more empowering. It's more exciting. It's more interesting. The statement, that, nobody knows what to do with that statement, right? It's like it just kind of lays there like a, it's like a slogan, you know, just like a, what are you going to do with it, right? But a question, once you put it into question form, all of a sudden people can say, oh, I have ideas on that, you know, and you get people engaged and you get them thinking. So, um, yeah, so that's just my general philosophy. Whenever you can take a big goal you have or a, or a challenge and turn it into a question, it's a good thing to do. Right, before I let you go, I, I appreciate your time. I want to see if you can reframe some questions. You've been talking about how we should ask questions. We shouldn't ask statements. So I have created a couple of questions. Okay. Common divorce topics. Yeah. I want to see if you can, since you're the questionologist, Right. Improve it. So here's okay. first on custody. This is the topic is custody. Mm-hmm. How can I create a parenting plan or how can we create a parenting plan where one of us does not put our child first? I'm not sure I understand why one of us, why you're singling out one of us. Uh, because automatically that starts to make it seem I, you know, um, like there's an accusation buried within that question somewhere. So I would, uh, you know, I would probably simplify the question. First of all, uh, I, I like the word might over can. So anytime you, you, you have a how can we or how should we question, I advise always take out the can or should and replace it with might. Uh, might is a much more open word it's more open language and uh people respond better to it it's uh it's the kind of language that's used in creative sessions and in brainstorming because it kind of opens up it opens up the conversation so i'd start with how might we uh but then um i would frame the question around uh, tell me what what is it you're trying to get at with this question you're trying to say what is this question trying to address is trying to come up with a parenting plan right. where one parent feels the other parent does not put the children first. So I, I would sort of shift that to a more positive framework and say, how might we come up with a parenting plan where everyone can feel that the children are getting the best from both of us? You know, how might we come up with, with a plan? You know, that that enables us to feel and, and be comfortable that children are getting the best of both of us, you know. And within that question, I think you may come up with sub-questions. And the sub-questions may, be, may involve, you know, how can we avoid a situation where, you know, uh, where it seems like one, one of us is getting priority over the other, or one of us is, is um, you know, how can we always make sure that the kids are front and center? 
in every discussion that we do. So you could you could have those be kind of offshoot questions that come under the the bigger one. But the, but when you're framing a beautiful question, try to keep it very positive. So yeah, I would say in your initial question, don't focus on the negative, and the negative would be one one of us doing this more than the other or whatever. That's that's negative, right? So instead, try to frame that as a positive, where um, both of us are able to, you know, have the best, the most uh, effective and productive relationship with our kids and frame it around the positive goal that you're trying to achieve. Love that, Warren. Love that. Okay. Try this one. This is child support. I'm going to try to use some of the techniques you just told me. So here's my take on a child support question that comes up often. This is more of a collaborative state where you can be a little bit more creative. Question is, what if Instead of paying child support, we shared a joint account and agreed to contribute to this joint account according to our means for our child's expenses. Hmm, that's great. Uh, that question is perfectly fine as is. I don't think you need to change it because what if questions, uh, that's, a, that's a great what if question. Um, remember, what if questions are just possibilities, right? So they don't have to be... Um, they, they're not uh, concrete things you're putting out there. There's something you're putting out on the table so that it can be discussed and explored. And I think that one's fine as it is. Um, the only thing is now with, with, um, with that, those types of questions, always good to do a little preamble or something, you know, where you say to the other, you make sure the other, the other person understands the spirit in which this question is being put out there. So you, so you want to say something like, you know, I, I want to explore all kinds of possibilities here. There's no reason we have to do the traditional uh, route. We should be open to, to everything and everything should be open to discussion. Yeah. I, I'm going to throw a couple of possibilities out there. I'd love it if you have a, a couple of ideas too. And here's one that, that comes to mind right, right away. You know, what if we did this? Okay. So, so, by doing that little preamble, you just prepare the person for the idea that this is just an idea. You don't want them to get defensive right away and to think, oh, he's trying to force this on me. This is what he wants to do. And you don't want them to be thinking, you know, what is he trying to get away with here? What is he trying to pull? So you need to address that in advance. And then you also need to address it, you know, in the... Um, in the discussion, just make sure when you, if you have a possibility like that you're putting on the table, just make sure that you are, you know, openly discussing, you know, what is this, what are the advantages of this and what are the disadvantages, both for me and for you, for both of us. What, what are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Try to get everything on the table because otherwise it's going to be a problem later on. You know, if, if, if you, even if you convince someone to go along with that plan, if they really underneath are not that comfortable with it, or they have some issues, it's probably going to come up later. They're going to have a problem with it later, right? So later on, they'll, and then it'll just be ugly, right? They'll say, you came up with that stupid plan. So, so you have to get up, you have to get buy-in from them at the time, real true buy-in. And that through questioning, you need to dig and make sure 
that this idea you have um, really works for them too, and that and that they really they're really comfortable with it, right? That they really are, you know, um, it, they understand it. They understand the rationale behind it. You know, they understand um, why it seems to make sense. Um, we've we also are going to talk about where it could be a problem. Um, we're going to talk about pros and cons versus the more traditional thing we might do. We're going to look at the two options side by side. So if you really want this idea to take hold, you have to do some work, you know, so you, you have to present it the right way. And then you have to be willing with the other person to take it apart, to like dissect it and from every angle and say, okay, does it work? Does it work? Does it work for you? Does it work for me? How do we envision this unfolding? Um, what are the pros and cons? And then at the end of a conversation like that, you might actually have full buy-in by both people. And, and then you're okay. Then, then you're good to go. Now, I love that staying the intention because yeah. generally at that point in a divorce, people have negative perspectives. Obviously, right. in the start of the relationship, there's such positive perspective. So it's great because the negative perspective is you're cheating me out of child support. So it's very good that you address that in a concrete way and also being opening open to other ideas. Listen, thank yeah. you, Warren, for joining us on this conversation about divorce. Is there any last thought or because of you question you would like to leave us, especially for our listeners who are trying to get divorced in a more creative, and I know it's hard, and less reactive way? Okay, uh, it's not a question, but the last thing we discussed brought up one final idea, and that is okay. um, I've been talking about this thing called the question sandwich, right? And so a question sandwich is when you you uh, you take the question and you you put something in front of it and you put something after it. So the sandwich you like sandwiching it. And the, so the thing you put in front of it is curiosity, and the thing you put after it is rationale. So on the example we just gave, you know, the question is that what if we tried this alternative plan? Okay, so the way you would present that as a question sandwich is you start with curiosity. And that means simply saying, you know, I've been thinking about something. I've been wondering about something. I'm curious about something. And then you put the question in, you know, what if we tried X, Y, and Z? And then you end with rationale. And the rationale is the reason I bring this up or the reason... I'm, I'm asking this question is because of blah, blah, blah. You can do that with almost any challenging question. Start with curiosity, then ask the question, then put the rationale on the end of it. Here's why I'm asking you that. Um, it just takes away a lot of the problems, a lot of the defensiveness that, that often uh, you know, goes with this type of question. Warren, that is fantastic. So smart. Also, I love your examples. You have barbecue. So you must be a foodie and sandwich. I remember these things. So you're a great <laughs> teacher. Thank you for all the work you have done in, in this field. And I think you're going to be doing more, uh, hopefully, in the divorce field. I know you've been in the business field. I know you spent, I think, earlier on in the design field. So maybe your next book or two is going to be about designing a better divorce. Yeah, hopefully I won't be writing about my own uh, marriage. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, it's a great field for for questioning. It's 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 ripe for uh, for 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 more questioning thoughts and ideas. Thank you again, Warren. All right, thanks, Corey.